there is something about the worship in this house that just continues to grow and grow. Um, you know, it's anytime you preach, there's a weight that comes with that. Um, but there's also, there's just, I, I don't know, I'm going to be sharing some things this morning that are very deeply personal to me. And I just felt the weight of that last night, but during worship, man, I just cast off the heaviness and put on a garment of praise. And honestly, worship empowered me to get up here and share last night in a way that I didn't think was possible. And so I think that when you enter into anointed worship, you should exit anointed worship changed, completely changed. Because it's really about having an encounter rather than having an experience. Because experiences fade, but encounters change us. And we walk out differently. Um, I am going to remember my announcement. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So um, two weeks from last night, September 16th, we are having another Freedom Night. That's right. Exactly. They get it. If you haven't been to a Freedom Night, they know. We call it Freedom Night for a reason, because people find freedom, deliverance. They encounter a loving and almighty God. So that is going to be two weeks from last night. Like I say, Saturday, September 16th. We do that in, in place of our regular Saturday night gathering. The one thing that, that's important to note is although we do have nursery for the littles, we do not have, there's <laughs> just some joy going on over here. Um, although we have nursery for the littles, we don't have regular His Kids Church, and there's a reason for that. And that is, is because we want the kids in the sanctuary worshiping with us. There was a prophetic word over this house at the sound this year, and it was talking about children being in the sanctuary, and they're going to be praying over people and laying hands on people, and they're going to be healed, and they're going to be giving prophetic words. And so we want to give kids the space to be able to do that. See, prophetic requires partnership. Otherwise, it's only potential. It's not realized. Huh, Lydia? Look at that sweet little baby in the front row. Look at that sweet little baby in the front row. I love babies. <laughs> and she loves me. So my name is Don. Uh, I have the great privilege and honor of uh, starting off a new sermon series called The Commission. Notice it is not the omission, but the commission. And so I'm excited to be able to get this started. I wanted to um, introduce, most of you probably know me, uh, but I wanted to introduce my beautiful bride of over 32 years, Mama Deborah. Everybody knows her. So in, in Spanish, I would call her mi, my, mi media naranja, which literally translates to half orange. It makes no sense whatsoever, but that is how they say better half. They don't say better half. They say mi media naranja. And so she is definitely my half orange. Um, <laughs> um, somewhere scattered. Among, okay. Waving from the back. Everybody look in the back. Those are my lovely daughters, whoop, whoop. Becca and Tori. Um, I love you girls. So glad that you, uh, aw, awesome. Um, so anyway, um, I have the, uh, the great honor of serving as an elder here. Um, I'm also a pastor, though I'm not on staff. Um, I was, I was the executive pastor here until my wife and I left to go plant a church in San Pedro Sula, Honduras. 
and we were in Honduras for over five years, and the church is doing amazing. We're excited to go back to Honduras in November and visit them, um, but yeah, the Lord uh, brought us back. We finished up our time in Honduras, and we have been back since the beginning of last year, um, and so it's just a great privilege to be able to be here and uh, starting off this sermon series, my, my sermon title is called Travel Necessities. See, going back and forth to Honduras, we learned really quickly what to pack and what not to pack. It's just as important what you don't pack as it is what you do pack because you have a limited amount of space, a limited amount of weight, and so you have to get really efficient at packing. And so we're going to be talking about some travel necessities. What are the must-haves when living on mission, fulfilling the commission? I think the first thing I want to mention is, is a must-have travel companion. And I'm not talking about the lovely Deborah. I'm talking about Holy Spirit. There was a, there was a commercial, American Express, forever. Their tagline was American Express. Don't leave home without it. And I think much more so than your credit card, we don't want to leave without Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, Don, I'm born again. He's always with me. Yeah, but I think far too often we make Holy Spirit just a silent partner stuffed in the back seat, not having any input, not giving any direction in our life. And if you remember last week, Pastor Craig said, does the Holy Spirit not only have ownership, but does he have authority in our lives? And so Holy Spirit, man, we absolutely need him directing, guiding, telling us when to go, when to stop. Y'all, it can be as simple as go straight. Have you ever had the Lord? You know the route to work or to the store because you do it every single day. And all of a sudden he's like, turn left here, turn left here. You know what? I can't get away from it. I, I want to, I have a word for you and your family um, Rochelle and her daughters were in a very bad car accident probably a week ago, week and a half ago, something like that. Um, anyway, I want you to know that there was a purpose. Tori and I, after she graduated high school, um, she wanted to go to Maine. So we flew to New York, rented a car, drove to Maine, and on our way back, we were driving through some road construction. Well, we thought it was road construction. We were going about 30 miles an hour on this four-lane highway separated by a median. And we come up on this tow truck that's towing a car that's just completely demolished. Should have been on a flatbed, but it was towing it. And we're coming up on the left side of it, and all of a sudden, the tire blows on the car that it's towing, slams the car into the side of us so hard that it literally pushes us to where we're now slamming into the side of the tow truck. This car was completely destroyed that we were driving, this rental car. And I was like, God, we prayed. We prayed for your protection. I don't understand. Why did you allow this to happen to us? And when we were standing on the side of the road, this lady came up to us and she was a nurse. She was checking on us and she goes, I was right behind you and I can't, I can't believe what happened to you guys. Are you okay? And, she, and I said, is that your car? It was a little Mini Cooper, little two-door Mini Cooper. Had we not been where we were and that car had hit her, it would have killed her. And we walked away. And God said, that was why I allowed this to happen to you, Don. 
because I have a purpose and a plan for her and I knew that you would be okay. And I want you to know it's gonna be okay and God has a purpose and a plan both for you because God doesn't just use us without something for our good as well. And so God, we bless this family. We thank you how that you are going to do, you're gonna turn all things for good. You're gonna do something miraculous in them and through them. God, we know that you don't cause these things, but God, we know that they are allowed sometimes for our good and your glory. And although we often can't see it in the middle of it, we know that there's purpose in the pain. And God, that there's gonna be something miraculous that comes out of this. And so I bless you and your family in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Love you guys. Whew. I know. So <clears throat> I was talking about Holy Spirit a minute ago. And honestly, it's not just something we talk about. It's something that we, we actually believe in. And I think that when we talk about the commission and what it is that God has called us as believers to do, I think it's really actually impossible to accomplish the commission, impossible to accomplish God's plans and purposes for our life without the Holy Spirit. And this is why I believe that. In Luke 24, 49... Jesus says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Man, if you need something in your bag, it's that kind of clothing where there is power that enables you to accomplish the plans of God for your life. So what is the commission? What is a commission? I think at its core, it can be found in two very familiar sections of scripture. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard these, but we're gonna look at them anyway. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then in Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Remember, you're gonna be clothed in power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Simply put, be my witnesses wherever you are or are going and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there it is. That's the commission. Your mission, if you choose to accept it. And I say that because there are a lot of Christians who live their whole life and never once share the gospel. Never once make a disciple never once step outside the four walls of their church and their comfort zone. But I know you guys are different. So let's get packing, right? Yeah. Amen. Of course, in North Idaho, that can mean a couple different things. <laughs> Probably some packing in here right now. Okay, number one. Those that are laughing are like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know who you are. Number one, travel necessity Living on mission to fulfill the commission is faith. Number one, faith. 
Now we know that we are saved by grace through faith, according to Ephesians chapter two. And in Hebrews 11, this chapter is all about faith, the heroes of the faith and why it is absolutely necessary. Verse six tells us, Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Isn't that amazing? I love that. It is impossible to please God without faith. It's not your good works. It's not how much you tithe or give. It's not how, how 100% attendance every weekend, all year long, none of those things please God. It is faith that pleases God. But it's impossible to please him without that. So what I love is, is that faith is so very pleasing to God. It's so funny as kids, we're always like, I want to make mom and dad happy. I'm going to go clean the room and I'm going to go mow the yard and I'm going to do all these things. Well, with God, it's simple. It's not about doing. It's just simply about having faith. And not only does that please God, but it completely transforms us. Come on, so good. I love the fact that we often, we, we talk about God like, I don't know, you know, he's distant. He's No, one thing pleases God, it's faith. And I think that that's every, something that every single one of us can have. We're gonna talk about how to get faith in just a minute. But I think that I love the way that the previous chapter ends. Hebrews 10, verse 39, it says this. Listen to this. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You guys, that is an anthem and a declaration. I was joking about it last night about getting it tattooed on my arm. I'm seriously considering getting this because I want this to be my anthem. No matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, I want to be able to say, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I want you to get that deep inside of your heart and mind. Hebrews 10, 39, write it down, memorize it, and start declaring that over yourself because we do have an enemy that is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. But we are not of those who shrink back. Amen? First John 5, 4, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I just literally can't overstate how important faith is. Man, in your travels, there is one thing you want to make sure you have plenty of, and that is clean underwear. <laughs> you don't want to run out of clean underwear. And you also want to make sure you're packing a lot of faith. So if you're wondering how you get more faith, there's a verse for that. It's Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, if the only word of God that you're hearing is on a Sunday once a week, do you know what your faith's gonna look like? You're gonna have faith. It's probably just gonna be small faith. How many times did Jesus kind of like get onto the disciples? Oh, you have little faith, right? And so if you want faith or more faith, if you want your faith to grow, 
The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. And it doesn't say faith comes by thinking or meditating. What does it say? Faith comes by hearing. I would challenge you, encourage you, poke you. When you're reading the word of God, read it out loud. Allow yourself to hear the words that you are reading. Faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. So if you want to grow your faith, read the word of God. Listen to to godly preachers. Get a daily devotional. But faith comes by hearing. You have the ability to grow your faith. It should never be a static amount. It should constantly be growing. So if we're packing a lot of faith and clean underwear, you know what we don't have room for? Fear. We do not have room in our suitcase for fear. Job said it this way. That which I greatly feared has come unto me. Some say fear is faith in reverse. Whatever your expectation is, whatever you're afraid of is what is going to come to pass. You're giving it space to grow. So if if faith helps us accomplish our mission, fear will absolutely stop us in our tracks. Fear of change, fear of failure, and I think a really big one is fear of man. All you gotta do is look at King Saul. God anointed King Saul to be the first king of the nation of Israel. He had everything going for him. And yet fear of failure and fear of man actually turned this anointed king into an enemy of the kingdom of God. Fear of man is absolutely a trap. Says so right here in Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Are we trusting in the Lord? The way he has for us is good. No spirit, but the Holy Spirit. And no fear, but the fear of God. Amen? Amen. First one, number one, faith. Number two, coffee. Not really. It's actually like 1.5 is what, what coffee is. Am I right? Don't look at me like that, Risha. Come on. Y'all know I love me some coffee. But actually, number two is love. Number one is faith. My daughters are cringing back there. I can see them. I'm trying not to look at them like, oh, dad, dad, stop. Number two, love. First John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Not only does love absolutely obliterate fear, but it should motivate us to take action. 1 John 3, 16 through 19 says this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for the sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his neighbor, his brother in need, he closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. 
Love has feet and love does. Love should motivate us and propel us into some kind of action. Now, we see that a lot inside the church. But if we are to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, those aren't inside the four walls. That's out there. So it's easy to love in here, much more difficult to love out there. Easy to be motivated in here, much more difficult to be motivated out there. And yet that's what God is calling us to. That's the point of the commission. See, as a church, I believe that God is ushering in a new season, a new level of anointing and power to see his children set free, to see us come into the real identity that God always intended, to empower us with his gifts. But if our motivation is not love, but that we desire to be someone that's recognized as being somebody with, a, with the spiritual gift of healing or prophecy or for deliverance, then all of a sudden things get really weird really fast. Love has to be the only motivation because otherwise we're really making it about us. And it's never about us. It really isn't. Up here right now, this isn't about me. I, I say that in all sincerity. This is not about me. This is about what God has done in my life. Paul had to deal with this. Things getting weird. And he does that in 1 Corinthians 13, often referred to as the love chapter. Chapter 13 is actually the, the, the gorilla glue that holds together chapter 12 and chapter 14, which are all about spiritual gifts, spiritual power being operated inside the church. And what Paul says is, I will show you a more excellent way. And he's talking about love. He's talking about love, how that without love, all of these spiritual gifts are nothing. And I will say this, spiritual power that is not motivated by love is dangerous and can damage. We would never give a child that hasn't received training that we don't know an automatic weapon. And so what we have to do and this is an ongoing test. Josh is like, yes, please don't. Say it again. Say it again from the pulpit. This is something that every believer, leaders, gifted people that know the call of God in our life, we have to come back to this place and check our hearts and check our motives from time to time. We can never forget that it is God who empowers us. That is not, this is not some innate gift that Don has. This is something that God has done for a purpose and for a reason. Our motivation has to be love. But love activates power. You know what? When did Lazarus get raised from the dead? When Jesus was moved with compassion. It was Jesus's compassion that caused him to raise Lazarus from the dead. So it is our love that motivates it. It is our love that causes us to get uncomfortable. It is our love that will get us to talk to the person that looks homeless in the street. It is our love that isn't afraid to go up to somebody at the grocery store that's standing outside with a cardboard sign. 
Have you ever had God challenge you with obedience and you chickened out? Let's grow our faith and expand our love. And again, it's not about you, but it sure is amazing what God does in you while working through you. Amen? Amen. Jesus, Jesus was the opposite of pride. He was the opposite of weird. In fact, we see that in the story of the rich young ruler, this guy's all trying to, you know, shine up to Jesus and say, oh, good teacher. And Jesus is like, who are you calling good? There is none good but God. The one person that had the right to be able to receive praise and glory and honor humbled himself. And that's why it's so important for us to maintain that posture of humility and make sure that love is the motivation for everything that we do. Being motivated by the agape of love is the perfect antidote to fear and pride, which is something that is absolutely prohibido, prohibited in your travels. No matter how good you think you can hide your pride, it will always get found out. I gotta share this story. <clears throat> I remember when Sean and Chantel and Seth led a team down to Honduras. And anytime teams would come down, you know, everybody had chores, they had responsibilities. And so everybody invariably would get a turn washing dishes. Well, everybody loved the dish soap that we had in Honduras. You can get it in Latin American countries, but it's this hard soap in this plastic tub and you just kind of wet your sponge. And, and, but it's amazing. And so everybody would buy some. And so we're dropping them off at the airport. Their luggage goes through security. They're upstairs going through security. And we're literally about to walk out. And I hear Seth's full legal name being called out over the intercom. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. This is not good at all. Because until they're in the air, they are our responsibility. Problem is, I can't get to them. And so what happens when they call your full legal name over the intercom is someone comes and finds you and they give you the two finger follow me. And so they grab Seth and we're just going, oh Lord Jesus, oh Lord Jesus. We don't know what's going on, but God, we just pray for your grace and your mercy. We're just out there interceding. They grab Seth, they walk you down a jetway, downstairs onto the tarmac and into the underbelly of the airport and into a small room with all of your luggage and they're staring you in the eyes. They start opening your luggage and they're just looking at you and they start asking questions and they don't speak English. <laughs> Thankfully, Seth is actually very, very good at Spanish. And so he came to realize really quickly that apparently it's, Ill it's illegal to smuggle in, I mean, bring in Chantel, bring in this soap. So there was probably lots of, si, senor, no, senor, no, 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 si, senor. Lots of smiling, head nodding. This soap got found out, and much the same way, our pride will get found out. Because the baggage fees for having pride is far too expensive to pay on our journey. We don't have room, and we can't afford it, and neither can the people in our lives. There's no room for pride. And I'm not just talking about in the church. I'm talking about in your occupation, in your home, and with your family. 
the one person who had the right to feel a sense of pride and glory, humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, and he was washing feet. Before he died, Jesus was washing feet. That's love in action. What is God asking of you today? Bottom line, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I would go so far as to say that not only does God oppose the proud, but he will expose the proud because he knows that it is deadly to you, that it is doing no good in your life. And God's always like, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. I am a student of the hard way. And so I know how God does things. Dang it. We all know about that proverb about pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's just like the scripture Pastor Craig started out with last week, Galatians 2.20. And I'm gonna personalize this. And I encourage you to do the same. Don has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Don who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life that Don now lives in the flesh, Don lives by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer Don who lives. It is Christ who lives in me, transforming me, empowering me. It's not Don. And I'm really thankful for that. Now, I do still get in my own way sometimes, and I'm just gonna be honest. But we started, number two, talking about love and how that love motivates us to action. That leads us to number three, because action requires obedience. Of course, Jesus was and is and always will be the perfect example of obedience, and we find this in Philippians chapter two, verses seven and eight. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was obedient even to the point of death. And this was not a noble or glorious death. This was the most undignified, violent and intentionally demeaning and degrading form of death possible. And we remember Jesus in the garden praying, God, if there's any other way. Jesus knew how awful this was. Jesus knew what God was asking him to do. But he always ended those three prayers with, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus understood that he had to submit to his commission. Yeah, that's right. Jesus had a commission too. And so one has to ask, why? Why, Jesus? Why would you do that? You didn't want to, but you submitted yourself to it. Why did you do it? Now, we can easily say from our, from our Christian experience, oh, well, it's because of love. Or, or it's because it's, it's God's sovereign will. It's God's plan for salvation. And those things are true. But you know what? The scripture actually gives us a very specific reason why Jesus did this, why Jesus does it. And we're gonna find that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. We're gonna start in verse one. It's not gonna be on the screen. 
um, Hebrews 12. Maybe you've got your, your Bible, your paper Bible. I brought mine up just on, under, on principle alone. I'm not reading out of it, but I just brought it up on principle. So, because it makes me holy. Thanks for that. Amen, Marty. That was totally ungodly and undoctrinal, but thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Marty's always got my back. So, excited. Hebrews 12, verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, King James says, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You wanna know why Jesus was obedient to the death on a cross? For the joy set before him. It's right there. I think that the joy that was set before Jesus was Dakota and Rosie. I think the joy that was set before Jesus was, was Amber and Chantel and Seth. I think that the joy that was set before Jesus is every single one of us. I think he understood what that price paid, what that sacrifice, that gruesome death on the cross would actually accomplish. Maybe he was even thinking about this morning where there would be a group of people in a place far away that would be lifting up the name of Jesus. And he said, that's the joy. That is why I'm going to be obedient. The joy set before him. I'll never forget over on Emma Street when J.O. was preaching on obedience. And as pastors, we always use our kids as examples. I picked on Tori a little bit in the first service. Um, thanks for getting here on time for this one. Just kidding. Oh! Ay, 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 ay. We'll be talking later. Seth just got really uncomfortable. He's like, I'm a PK. I know how this works. So we're going to talk about Seth. So, <clears throat> yeah. So J.O. Um, talked about a time where he asked Seth to go out and mow the yard. And Seth was just kind of hemming and hawing around and apparently didn't really want to do it. But finally was like, okay, okay. And then J.O. asked a really, really important question. But are you pumped about it? It would be more like this. Yeah. But are you pumped about it? That's as big as I can get my eyes open. I can't. That's it. That's all I got. And so I think that the, the truth is, is that we can do obedience wrong. We can absolutely do, do obedience in a wrong way. And the question is always, but are you pumped about it? And it's funny because we'll even like quote movie lines and we'll throw that one out there from time to time. But are you pumped about it? And so the reality is, is that sometimes we, we often um, do obedience in a way that's more out of an obligation where it's more of a like a religious act versus a heart posture. And so I think it's really easy. And this is one that I slip into all the time. 
It, it is. I'm just going to be really honest with you guys. It's really for me to slip into that role. And so it's something that I have to kind of guard against my heart um, so that, that I would obey God because of the joy set before me and because of trust in his will. But I am going to be very vulnerable right now. And that's how vulnerable I'm going to be. <laughs> I'm going to be very vulnerable right now and share an example with you from my own life. And unfortunately, it was actually a very recent um, experience that I had. So it was about a week or so before man camp. And I felt the Lord say, son, I want you to share your testimony at man camp. And I was like, well, you know, God, I mean, no, I'm good. I'm really good. I'm okay, actually. I mean, they've already got the schedule all filled out. There's not, there's not a space for me but I couldn't get away from it. And then he said it again, son, I want you to share your testimony at man camp. Tried to talk him out of it. It didn't happen. So I met up with Craig. Craig was the, the opening speaker that Thursday night at man camp. And I said, bro, um, God is asking me to share my testimony. And I knew that he immediately felt the weight of that. And so we talked about it, and we figured out a spot in his sermon where I would be able to um, get up for a minute and share. And I'll have to tell you, that week leading up to man camp was one of the most difficult weeks of my life. We had endured a lot of hardships in Honduras, and this felt so much more difficult than so many of those things. And I was not okay Mama was praying over me. Craig was praying over me. But we get to Thursday, and I shared with uh, Pastor J.O., Pastor Stephen, hey, this is what God is asking of me. They prayed over me. Here's the thing. God knew that I would obey, but there was zero joy set before me. <laughs> there was no joy. You know what was set before me? Fear of man, shame. What would people think? All of the what ifs. That what was set before me. And I was tormented the whole week long. So Thursday comes along. It's time to get up there. And I'm not okay. I was not doing okay. So in front of 240 men, I began to share that when I was a very young boy, my stepfather, the only father that I ever knew, began to regularly sexually abuse me until I was about 17 or 18 years old. The first time I actually ever shared that outside of my family was 11 years ago, and it was with Pastor J.O. at a man camp. I remember up until that point <clears throat> during worship, I was the guy with his hands on the seat back in front of me. But when I got a taste of freedom, when I got a taste of what it felt like to not be buried under a mountain of shame, and we went back into praise and worship, I couldn't not raise my hands. This is what freedom looks like. This is what freedom looks like. And although that moment was incredible and monumental. 
It was simply the opening of a door towards freedom. Because now I'm here, 53, and I'm about to share the rest of the testimony and the part that I knew God was really asking me to share at man camp. The part that nobody knew, the part that I was afraid of and the part that I knew he was asking me to share was that because I was abused by a same-sex abuser for so many years, it created a stronghold of same-sex attraction in me that I've struggled with most of my adult life. There was no joy in obedience in that moment. Only fear and shame. And what are the men that I love and that I show affection to? What are they gonna think of me? Will they question my love and affection as something as less than godly? I was tormented. I was afraid. Fear torments. The thing is, is that I didn't trust God. And because I didn't trust him, there was no joy set before me. We often tell God, God, use me. Use me, God. And then when he does, we feel used. <laughs> Am I wrong? Have you ever felt that way? Just me? I think there are two primary reasons, and I can only speak from my own experience, because there have definitely been times in my life where I said, God, use me. He did, and I felt used. And it would be because, number one, I didn't trust that he had something good in it for me as well. And number two, my motivation wasn't really love. It was simply that I had once again assumed the role of dutiful servant instead of trusting son. I can so quickly slip into dutiful servant. We taught, we were learned, we were learned. Now I'm talking like J.O. We were learned. <laughs> Dang it. Just in case y'all missed him, I'm gonna speak Southern. We were taught obedience growing up. It was always obey, first time, every time, now. I know my kids are back there repeating this because you know what? We, we, we forced that same kind of obedience mentality on them. There was no space for questioning or discussion. No, I'm not saying obedience is wrong. And I'm, I, but what I'm saying is, is that I took a warped idea of what obedience should look like and then I put it on God. And so when God asked me to do something, you know what? I was actually angry at God that he would ask me to do that because he knew I would. And I didn't feel like I really had a choice because he knew I would obey. But the problem is, is that I didn't trust him and so there was no joy set before me, only torment. Now that's not on God, that's on me. It honestly never occurred to me that week leading up that God's primary reason for asking me to do that was because he desired for me to be set free from fear and shame and what people would think. And this false identity, God's primary purpose was for me, but that thought honestly never crossed my mind. But I was talking to a friend of mine Monday following, and I was just kind of processing out loud. Don't do this, but I like Marco Polo while I'm driving. <laughs> Don't do this. <laughs> okay, pastor. Um, but I was processing out loud and, and, and I, 
it was in that moment, literally, that I was like, wait, wait a minute. And this is literally how it went. Wait a minute. What if the real reason God did this wasn't simply to help other men, but because he desired to do something in me first? And in the process of helping me get freedom and deliverance, it would also help other people. Do you know how different the week leading up to man camp would have been for me if I had trusted that God had good in it for me? If there had been joy set before me because I trusted in a loving father? No, I was a dutiful servant, not trusting son. I think that as we pack up for this journey called the commission, wherever that is, whether it's here in Coeur d'Alene or Spokane, Honduras, London, England, wherever it is, I think it's important for us that we have love as our motivator, that we should be filled with faith, fully stirred and growing and trusting that God will do something in us while he is doing something through us. It's in this place where an act of obedience actually becomes an act of worship. See, obedience really is about us doing something. But when our heart is one where there's joy set before us, I trust God fully, regardless of what he's asking me to do, then my act of obedience stops being about me and it starts being an act of worship to God. Isn't that beautiful? And that's where, that's where, you know what? I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to a, a prison of shame and fear. And what if people found out? What will they think? I'm not going back, which is why I'm here today. This is for me. And because you're here, it's for you. But primarily, I know that God is, and there was joy set before me. It didn't make it easy. But there was joy set before me because I trusted that God had something in it for me as well. You know, Revelations 12, 11 says that we have conquered and overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Well, if our testimony is only a half truth, will we ever truly overcome? Church, I think it's time for our private struggle to become a part of our public testimony. Because the world cannot relate to Christian perfectionism. The world can relate to authenticity, vulnerability, and relatability. Man, I'm tired of hiding behind a religious fig leaf so that you think I got everything together. And I'm also tired of being shut behind a door of shame that doesn't allow me to live authentically either. God takes broken things and makes them whole. I want to close by reading a prophetic word that Christine Kane put out this week. Um, I've had a lot of people say, hey, can I get a copy of that? And yeah, we'll get you a copy of this. Here it is. To do what God has called you to do, you will have to accept that what God knows about you is more important than what people think about you. Until what God thinks is more important to you than what other people think, you will always try to please people at the expense of pleasing God. 
There are times God will ask you to go where others will not go, to do what others will not do, say what others will not say, and obey what others will not obey. You won't really know if pleasing God is your greatest desire in life until you experience the heartache of disappointing the people who love the most. It's easy to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit when everyone is affirming your choices. It's much more difficult when it costs the approval, affirmation, or encouragement of those from whom you most want it. I know it's not easy, but it's where you will find true peace, joy, and life. Go all in. He is worthy. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Let's burn the ships. Do you remember that sermon? Let's burn the ships. This was a burn the ship moment for me. There's no going back. It's on the internet. There's no going back. It was one thing at man camp, you know, nobody was recording nothing. But you know what? I am not my past. That is not my identity. I am not my past. I'm who God says that I am. And he calls me beloved son. He calls me righteous. As, as, as Mama was prophesying earlier, we've been washed in the blood of Jesus. And I want to let you know, being washed in the blood of Jesus wasn't a one-time event at salvation. We are constantly being washed in the blood of Jesus because it's not like you stopped sinning the moment you got saved. You still need the blood, and so do I. And so allow him to wash you. You know, I was thinking about it you know, I, I, I know how I felt um, living in, in fear and shame in, in this prison, hoping that nobody would find out. I have to think in a, in a room this size that there are people here today that said, no, Don, I, I, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I really do. But man, I'm so messed up. I am so broken that I, I know Jesus wouldn't want me in my current condition. So what I'm doing, what I'm doing, Don, is I'm, I'm really trying to get cleaned up I'm really trying to, to get ready so that, that Jesus would accept me. Can I tell you that that is a lie from the pit of hell? That there's nothing you can do to make you more ready for Jesus because Jesus is the one that did the heavy lifting. He's not asked you to get up on a cross to die for your sins. He did that for you. Jesus is still healing me. If I had waited until I started to get it all together, I don't know when that would be because I still don't have it all together. I'd still be waiting. But Jesus says today is the day of salvation. So I wonder if there's anybody in this place that you hear what I'm saying and you're like, Don, I, I, I don't wanna. Don't wait. Don't wait till you're 53 or 42. Jesus accepts us exactly how we are and he takes us and he wraps his arms around us and he starts to transform us from the inside out. And we start to recognize that the things we struggled with all along were never who we really were. Is there anybody in this place that says, I want Jesus now? 